Support for Luke's English Podcast comes from donations by my listeners. If you'd like to make a donation, just go to my website and click donate. Uh, also, support comes from my sponsors, and my sponsor for this episode is italki. And uh, basically, if you're looking for a teacher or one-to-one lessons or a conversation partner um, to practice your English regularly in a convenient way, italki is the service for you. Basically, the way it works is you'd go through my link, uh, teacherluke.co.uk slash talk, and then um, sign up free with italki and have a look at all their teachers and choose one that you like, one that uh, matches the kind of thing you need. So they have teachers that specialize in exam preparation, uh, job interview preparation, um, business English, or just general English. Do you want just conversation with some language feedback, or do you want more specifically focused lessons? Um, choose the teacher that seems to suit you. You can contact them. You can you know get in touch with them. They have videos that give you demonstrations uh, where they introduce themselves to you. You can have trial lessons, which are shorter and cheaper. Shop around until you find the teacher that's right for you. And then it's very convenient. Just choose the dates in their calendar, dates and times. Fix yourself some lesson times. And then Bob's your uncle. You've got some regular English speaking practice into your life, which is really important, as we know. And, of course, when you buy some talking time, italki will send you a voucher for a free lesson because you listen to this podcast, which is nice. Okay, so teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This summer, I received a message from a listener in Russia called Sasha. Hello, Sasha. Uh, suggesting that I talk to his friend Benny on the podcast. And this is what Sasha wrote to me. He wrote, I know a guy who works on the Greenpeace Fire Project. His name is Benny, uh, actually Anton Benislavsky, but that's just a formality. He's been fighting wildfires almost all over the world and teaching volunteers and Greenpeace staff how to fight wildfires. In fairness, I must say that teaching people how to fight all types of wildfires is not the main purpose of the project. What's more important is raising people's awareness of wildfires and the consequences of these fires. So they're trying to do all these sorts of things within the project, fighting wildfires, teaching and mind shifting, as they call it. And Benny is really of great experience in this topic. And I'd like to ask you with great humbleness, if there is any chance that you'll find it possible to have a conversation with Benny on your podcast for the sake of pleasure and good things. Well, Sasha, since you are so nicely, um, I thought it would be a good idea. I, I do like the way that Sasha um, asked that question or gave that request in such polite language. Did you notice? I would like to ask you, and then in brackets, with great humbleness, if there's any chance, very good. It's always good to stick in a, if there's any chance, you know, uh, do you, you don't buy any or buy any chance. That's the other one. Um, and it's with a negative question. It's really specific. Uh, this isn't exactly what Sasha wrote, but this is how we often use by any chance or if there's any chance. Okay. Just a bit of social English here on the side. So by any chance, that's when 
you're making a request. Uh, and you would make the request with a negative. So you would say, you couldn't by any chance call me a taxi, could you? All right, you you know, just like a little request. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't just, um, you don't have the time by any chance, do you? You don't have the time, do you? You don't have the time by any chance. Anyway, this was, I'd like to ask you if there's any chance that you'll find it possible, very nice, to have a conversation with Benny on your podcast. Well, Yes, Benny sounded to me like an interesting person when I read that email, uh, an interesting person doing important work. And so we arranged an interview over Skype, and you're going to listen to it in this episode. Benny first became a firefighter as a volunteer eight years ago in order to fight large wildfires, or wildland fires as they're also known, which were burning near where he lived in Moscow. Now for the non-Russian listeners, 2010 is infamous in Russia as the year of big wildfires in various parts of the country that became a major public health issue. Uh, this is just some a couple of paragraphs from Wikipedia. Um, the 2010 Russian wildfires were several hundred wildland fires that broke out across Russia, primarily in the West, in summer 2010. They started burning in late July and lasted until early September 2010. The fires were associated with record high temperatures, which were attributed to climate change. The summer had been the hottest recorded in Russian history and drought. Uh, Russian President Dmitry Medvedev declared a state of emergency in seven regions and 28 other regions were under a state of emergency due to crop failures caused by the drought. The fires cost roughly $15 billion in damages. Uh, a combination of the smoke from the fires producing heavy smog blanketing large urban regions and the record-breaking heat wave put stress on the Russian healthcare system. Munich Ray uh, estimated in all uh, that 56,000 people died from the effects of the smog and the heat wave. The 2010 wildfires were the worst on record to that time. So this is actually what got Benny to become a volunteer firefighter in the beginning. And in this episode, you're going to hear Benny talking all about becoming a firefighter, the work that he's been doing with Greenpeace to fight uh, wildland fires and their causes around the world, the impact of climate change, the best and worst things about being a firefighter and projects that he'll be working on in the future. Now, I know that some of the dedicated language learners listening will no doubt be paying close attention to Benny's English during the interview, but don't judge him on his English, which he uses every day in his work. Instead, you could judge Benny on the work that he's been doing and the important issues relating to climate change that he mentions during our conversation. And this is quite timely because climate change is back in the headlines again. Um, in fact, um, here's a little paragraph from the week.co.uk uh, from just a few days ago un report warns of global warming a new report from the un warns of a huge risk if global warming is allowed to exceed 1.5 degrees centigrade and calls for unprecedented action within the next 12 years to prevent extreme heat drought floods and poverty the authors of the report some of the world's leading scientists say the goal is affordable and feasible although it is ambitious so this is a very big issue right now for all of us um, and 
Well, I don't always feature non-native speakers on this podcast, but sometimes I do. And I think it's worth remembering that as long as you're communicating effectively and playing your part as a member of the team in English, then that's the main thing. I mean, for example, you know, you don't necessarily have to wait to have 100% native level English before you can start doing important work in English, like Benny does. Um, Maybe knowledge of vocabulary is the most important thing and being a clear speaker so that you're basically making yourself understood. But on the subject of vocabulary, um, working as a firefighter, Benny does use all of the different you know, language to describe what he does. So look out for all of the words and phrases relating to fire uh, in this episode. Um, there is a bit of disturbance in the sound quality, unfortunately, uh, because Benny's headset microphone picked up all of the plosive sounds that he made. Plosive sounds are the ones that basically where the air comes out of your mouth. Uh, things like purr and burr. It's probably happening now with my microphone if I put my mouth close to it. P, p and b and s and k, ch, f, you know, those, particularly p and b, uh, those are the big plosive sounds. So while Benny is speaking, his microphone does kind of explode a little bit sometimes. But there it is. That's just what we're dealing with. Um, I'm sure that when you do your conference calls or when you're on the phone to another part of the world, the sound quality isn't always perfect. In fact, I know it's often quite poor, isn't it, when you're doing those conference calls and stuff. So this is good practice for you. And it's also good practice to listen to non-native speakers, because if you're working internationally in English, then you're probably going to be speaking English to other non-natives. And that's uh, an important thing to consider. Right then. So without any further ado, let's get started. Whereabouts are you at the moment, actually? I'm in Moscow in Greenpeace, Russia, main office. Okay. Uh, this is my workplace. So, uh-huh. so you work for Greenpeace? Yes, I work for Greenpeace. I'm a certified wildland firefighter and also a Greenpeace campaigner and project leader. So a certified, what, what kind of firefighter? Uh, wildland firefighting means the fires which occurs in the wildland okay. uh, out of structures. So sort of in wild areas, in the wilderness, that sort of thing. Yes, uh, formerly agricultural burnings, which are uncontrolled or illegal, also included in this definition, but it's uh, just uh, formal legal stuff. I see. But basically, you're out there in the countryside fighting fires, wildfires. How do these fires start? Globally, uh, we uh, estimate that 77% of wildland fires uh, are started by human activities. Mm-hmm. It could be direct burnings, yeah, as such as agricultural burnings. It could be negligence or it could be arsons. So the majority of wildland fires are human-induced. So I guess there's sort of two things that you're fighting against. The actual fires themselves and the human actions that cause those fires. Is that right? Yes, that is totally right. And I would say more that firefighting itself, technically putting something, some like water in the fire is a, a, a small part of our job mm-hmm. because our main task is to change the human behavior in agriculture, in land use, in forest and forest fire management in the way that uh, the unnecessary burnings will be avoided and mm-hmm. that will decrease the amount of fires themselves. Okay. So I guess a lot of these burnings are things like, yeah, as you said before, agricultural burnings. Um, this is when, I guess, farmers um, start fires for, for whatever reason. Why would uh, they have a fire on a, on a farm? 
let's say, first of all, humanity burns landscapes for thousands and thousands of years. I think or I assume that since human knew how to start the fire, humans start to burn everything around. Uh, <laughs> this is the cheap and easy way to clean the land from residue, from dry vegetation. So people save the money by burning everything around. They do not sometimes understand that that causes more, de- more, more damage and more expenses in the future. Mm. And also people in a uh, countryside, especially in the developed countries, for example, they have a lot of myths about uh, fires uh, which increase fertility of the soil due to ash which stays on the land. Mm. It's mostly a myth because normally fires on uh, agricultural land, if they repeat it uh, frequently, they cause degradation and decrease of fertility. But people do not understand it sometimes because they invest in fertilizers, they put some efforts to increase fertility with other ways that is a bit hide the real problem. Mm, I see, which is actually that that, that burning the land um, doesn't help the fertility. I see. So, at, at what point then could a fire on a farm that's been done, you know, to clear the land or whatever? At what point would that kind of fire become a wildfire? Uh, it depends on legislation in each particular country. In Russia currently, agricultural burnings are illegal totally. Mm-hmm. So as soon as uh, fire started on agricultural land, uh, it is well on fire for us and we can and we should fight it. Mm-hmm. And if the person will be fined uh, starting fire by officials, there will be a penalty for that. It also works for uh, United States, for example, where when they identify wildland fires, as soon as fire is illegal, let's say, mm-hmm. it is a wildland fire, it's not a burning. I the see. burning should be in some legalized and regulated way. Right. And in Russia, it's quite impossible to have a regulated uh, burning because the regulation is quite strict. So. In reality, you cannot have all the conditions to come for have a legal right to burn anything. I see. Okay, so that's kind of a legal question. Where, in fact, where do you do your work then? I mean, are you only based in Russia, or are you fighting fires uh, in other places? For Greenpeace, currently, I'm leading the process of uh, developing the international wildland fire project. Mm-hmm. So I did work in Indonesia. I did work in Cyprus, in Croatia, in Germany, and we have plans to uh, start working in Brazil, in uh, Congo, basing mm-hmm. in some other European countries. So, uh, And also we are investing in building the informal network of wildland firefighters to exchange experience, mm-hmm. share knowledge. So that's why I visited a lot of countries and fight fires in different countries. I see. So, but the most most part of my firefighting experience is linked to my country. Okay, I see. So um, how did you actually become a fireman in the first place? How long have you been a, a fireman or a firefighter? Yeah, in, in our case, it's firefighter because yeah. fireman is kind of against gender equality and it's a big issue here because formerly Russian government forbid women to be firefighters. Really? 
Yes, it's not. Uh, it's not an. Op- it's not a case in Greenpeace. Greenpeace firefighters could be both men and women. Mm-hmm. So I started in 2010. I've been a corporate lawyer before. Yeah. And it was quite a dramatic shift. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So in twi- in 2010 we had a so-called fire catastrophe. If you say 2010 in Russia, everybody knows what it is about. Mm-hmm. A lot of big cities were covered with a dense smoke, and it's up to. 50,000 people died prematurely due to the diseases caused by inhalation of smoke. Wow. So it was literally that I could not see the building on the other side of my street, and my street was not very big at that time. Yeah. So you can imagine it was. So I joined volunteer troops, a volunteer firefighter group, which was not linked to Greenpeace that time, and I spent... Uh, sometime in the forest, in the burning forest, fighting fires. And then in 2011, I joined Greenpeace Firefighters as volunteer. And in 2012, I became uh, employee of Greenpeace. So basically, there was just lots of smoke. There were fires near where you were living. And you were working as a lawyer. And you just went, right, I'm going to go into the forest and just f- start fighting this fire. Didn't you have like training to become a firefighter? In 2010, not. No. Government failed to somehow organize volunteers. We did it everything by taking risk on our own. We were not insured, like we did not have insurance or whatever. And thanks God, nobody was killed. Mm. Uh, it, it is a miracle. There was a group of guys, but they were killed by car crash, not by fire. Uh-huh. During all this, and if you compare this, uh, of course, very sensitive and very fearful uh, losses but if you compare them to the all number the, the the total number of volunteers it was a miracle that it was so low so, so you you were just at home and then what was it a fire that started in the countryside near the town where you were living uh, i live in moscow so i was in the middle of the disaster yeah and you know, in my country, to travel 200 kilometers, it's quite close. Yes. If I, if I go 200 kilometers, it's like nearby. So I went nearby and uh, joined volunteer group. We find it uh, with my friend um, uh, by internet. Mm-hmm. We started with telling each other that we need to go for one or two days to be volunteers and clean karma a bit. Because we all office, city people. So uh, these two days became a bit longer <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and what uh were there people with the right gear i mean were you able to for example get the the correct clothes and all the other equipment that you needed to do the job uh, we did it on our own a lot of people were gathering money equipment uh, tools uh food uh, and other supplies for volunteers it was real real mobilization by society like if you go in and you say that you're volunteer policemen uh, uh, bus drivers uh, car drivers were helping you and yeah. normally police is not very welcome for people from other regions to come but in this case you're driving in the night and they stop you to check documents if you, they find out that you're a volunteer they say okay okay you can stop there to have a rest there's some food there is the right turn is the left one mm-hmm. not the second one so they were very helping yeah and for example my mom sponsored the chainsaw for our group and 
my friends sponsored radio stations so it was like this amazing and so how did you actually fight the fire i mean were you just there with like buckets of water or or what and uh, no <laughs> of course not the forest fire mostly suppressed by food troops by digging and burning so yeah. you dig a line and then you burn out or you just dig a line if the fire is not very intense mm. so our first task was to check this line we were guarding it with a uh, backpack pumps and shovels mm-hmm. then we made a uh, fire break in a forest where the fire was low intensity and we were digging a line and then cutting trees. It was my task to cut trees which were threatening to be kind of a bridge for the fire yeah. to cross the fire break. So that was the way we did it in 2010. I see. Okay. And then you just carried on basically from there. You didn't go back to the job. No, I, I, I did my job in 2011 still because I was on the freelance and I was a bit kind of... Uh, free for joining volunteers and I was supported by my boss for example so if I say that I go as a volunteer say okay just stay safe yeah no 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 any troubles with being out mm-hmm. and in 2011 I start to think to change the job and in 2012 in the very beginning of the 2012 I joined Greenpeace so and I work still here I see okay all right so and how much of your time is actually spent um like you know in front of fire um like actual firefighting how much of your time do you actually spend doing that it depends year by year right now i'm managing the project so less time i spend in the field but like the record one record year could be like 80 days 80 days yeah that is quite a lot of time when you're just in contact um, but if you compare it to like professional firefighters from fire departments, mm-hmm. it's much less because for them to stay 160 or 200 days, it's okay. Yeah. Especially right now, especially in US, for example. Right. Wow. Wow. And um, it must be dangerous. I mean, have you ever been in situations of genuine danger yourself? Yep. Uh, th- this work of high risk, and that's why we invest so much in safety. Mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very important issue for us. Like in in my first day on the firefighting, the spruce tree, big spruce tree, fell down behind my back two meters, and it was totally silent, so I yeah. did not understand this and just, uh, before I turned my head back and see this spruce laying down on the road. Uh, I've been, <laughs> twice I've been, caught by fire in a kind of a trap it was not real like life danger i think Mm. right now but i was escaping really fast (laughs) how did you get trapped by the fire then uh we were fighting the grass fire in uh, astrakhan region the grass fires uh are very fast and they very wind dependent fires yeah and they very intensive if if the wind is strong so there was a moment when we were fighting fire and the wind changed speed and direction mm. really fast, like dramatically in one second. And uh, we did not notice that there was a small trench behind us. Mm-hmm. And the fire in the trench became really intensive, much more intensive than on a flat area. So we had a wall of fire from one side and wall of fire from the other side and then start to go one to each other. And there was a f- some area to the black so it was 
it was our mistake in the end, mm. like a group. So we we learned this lesson well. So we jumped out of this uh, to the black area, to the burnt area. Mm. I would not say that it was really like life danger, like we could be killed, yes. but we could be severely injured. And second time it was uh, intentional because there was a other group which kind of made a mistake and worked in an in not in a very safe mode so they were trapped and mm. we start to break through the fire so we were intentionally going in the very intensive burning and then at some moment we've been like in the flames but it was controlled so it was quite intense quite tough but we were kind of in a situation when every moment we could step back yeah. and be safe right wow okay and um, talking about, uh, I asked you about how a farm fire can become a wildfire. And you kind of gave me a legal definition, which is more about, you know, if it's considered wild or legal, basically. But I also would like to know how a fire can sort of go out of control. Because we, I guess, in the news, when we see reports of wildfires, we see sort of an, un, an out of control situation that may have started with, I don't know, a bonfire, a cigarette, a barbecue, and then it escalates to being out of control so how can a, f a fire that started on a farm to just clear some land turn into this you know out of control situation which you've then got to try and contain lack of control and precautions mm -hmm. um wildland fire uh, like not wildland fires but the the burning on a farm mm. uh if you look at it even on a small field it's quite a big area if it's 200 on 200 meters field yeah so you can imagine that you need a lot of people to be to follow in this fire that in case of the wind getting stronger or mm. changing direction mm. or whatever happened they can suppress it normally in our country there is one farmer who starts this fire and then goes with shovel or uh, any other tool mm. to control it yeah. really doesn't controlling uh, uh, really he's not controlling anything mm -hmm. and also these fields sometimes do not have any breaks between field yeah. and then wild area so the fire just escapes especially it happens when wind change direction or wind become much stronger in one second i saw the situations when people start to burn fields nearby the houses mm -hmm. When the wind was quite zero and there was a not even a fire, it was like smoldering in a grass. Mm. And then in one second, it turned to the real fire, which was going towards houses, not from them. Yeah. And that was a quite an intense moment for these people and for us because we were passing by. We were aiming to a totally other destination. So we need to jump off the cars and start to work in this case. <laughs> wow. So, so mostly it's because of lack of control, lack of precautions, and lack of predicting the behavior of this fire on the field and then in other places. I see. Okay. Um, have you seen the fires in Los Angeles? Only by TV. What, what I mean, um, again, just, just in my own experience of kind of seeing uh, wildfires in the news, though, those ones that periodically happen around Los Angeles are quite high-profile you know, just from the news I watch. I mean, are you? Is this part of what Greenpeace is is doing? Are they looking into that? Are, is are you sort of focusing on this at all? 
Yes, we do a lot of research and surveys on to understand why fires changing right now, wildland fires. I mean, how they impact climate change, how climate change impact fires. Uh, but I would not say right now uh, that I have quite solid knowledge about how it works in California. We have different opinions. We're gathering them, we're comparing them and try to analyze on this stage. There are a few points of view on why wildland fires in this area is so intense. One of them is that uh, too much wood is stored in the forest due to lack of forest management. Mm. Uh, NASA made a research recently which shows that the more important is that the winds became stronger and even if the fire, uh, if the fuel load would be less than it is now with the winds of this strength and speed, the fires will be really destructive and um, poorly manageable or yeah. hardly manageable. So it's a very disputable question. Mm. Yeah, it's really complicated, isn't it? Like, yep. There's me just thinking it's just you with a hose and you know an outfit like the movie Backdraft with uh, Kurt Russell. Um, and uh, and then there's all this sort of politics and, and stuff involved in it too. So are there more wildfires now than before? Uh, yes, but let, let's say that um, this is a very tricky question because we are not, we, we're not living every year at the same world. Uh-huh. So... We cannot just compare uh, amount of fires like area or incidents. Mm. It is not very correct because the, the, the environment is changing. So we what we can say that the if we want to say what the tendency is, what the trend is now, mm. that wildland fires became less and less controllable. In some cases, this is the matter of area, which is uh, conquered by fire. This is due to drier and warmer climate. It's due to changes in the fuel. What we're witnessing now is that wildland fires became less and less controllable. Mm. Uh, They became more destructive. They became more intense. Uh, They request more and more resources to suppress them or to control them and to contain them. So we can say that if you ask me, is it is there more fires than it was? Mm. No, there were years where there were more fires if we count them by cases, but it's not the relevant figure. Mm. So one of the important figures here is uh, emissions of uh, carbon dioxide caused by wildland fires and burnings, mm. because this is the direct impact to uh, for, for the climate change. And here, forest fires are more important because regrowth in forests are longer than in grasslands. Mm. Second is that there is a difference in impacting climate change and environment between fire, which happens for the first time in 40 years, on one area and the fires which happens every five years, for example. So it's a very complicated issue. And Greenpeace right now formulating our position about the environmental role of wildland fires and try to explain what happens now and try to show what could be done and what should be done. And there is a very, let's say, 
narrow way between many cliffs in this ocean because uh, natural dynamics is lost in some cases. In some cases, we just cannot survive with the natural dynamics. In some cases, we cannot talk about natural dynamics. And so it's it's like a very disbalanced system where you should be very, very careful by taking any measures or by taking any position. And so it's very complicated and there is no simple as answer to such a question. Wow. Okay. So that was me just kind of thinking it must be linked to climate change because in my brain, there's me going, well, more fire, more wildfires. It must be because climate change, the ground is drying up, it's getting hotter or something. But it's not as simple as that then, is it? Generally, you, you, your perception is right. Uh, uh-huh. uh, fire behavior de- depends on three main elements. Every wildland firefighter knows it. Elements are landscape, weather, and fuel. Mm-hmm. So this is for each incident. But if we look globally, this is the same for for the, the globe. But if we talk about landscape, landscape is or topography is the same. It's not changing so fast, yeah. fortunately. But if we talk about fuels and about weather, they these both elements are changing to the worse. Drier climate, warmer climate does mean that the conditions for fire are more beneficial. The fire season will start earlier, will finish later. The fire could easy, easier occur in these conditions. If we talk about fuels, I mean vegetation in our case, vegetation in many landscapes became drier themselves itself. Mm-hmm. Due to the climate, so you can imagine that these both conditions are uh, getting worse if we talk about the fire conditions. And the problem is that the wildland fires also impact in climate by carbon dioxide emissions and mm-hmm. also by black carbon emissions. It's a black suit which falls down on the Arctic ice and provoke melting of Arctic faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... This is kind of a positive feedback loop. It's like a chain reaction in a nuclear bomb. Yeah. So yeah. the more climate change, the more fires, the more fires, the more climate change, and so on and so on and so on. Wow. Well, um, what, what can most people do? Is there anything that I can do? I live in a city. I mean, what can I do to try and help this situation? This is a big <laughs> question. Um, let's say... If we do not change our all our approach to environment, mm-hmm. wildland fires will be the first vengeance to us from the nature because they are most devastating, and they happens much more often than tsunami or hurricanes. Yeah. So, if we talk about the climate change, is one of the drivers, the main drivers of uh, wildland fire behavior. Uh, we can say that okay. Do what you can to slow down climate change or to stop it. And there is a whole bunch of activities that the person, especially in Europe or U.S. or um, Canada or Russia, could could make. Also, there is support wildland fire uh, NGOs or groups which promote more sophisticated but more developed fire management and trying to say to avoid 
fires in agriculture. Um, mm. Try to convince your comp- companies to whom you are a customer that the fire, the burnings uh, is obsolete, uh, are obsolete as an agricultural tool. You can uh, look in internet and you see our Indonesian Greenpeace is firing with a palm oil product pr- producers who use burnings on the peatlands and mm. the peatlands are flammable themselves mm. and they destroy forests, they destroy peatlands, they cause huge CO2 emissions, they cause smoke, they cause fires and this palm oil go- goes to so many products that we consume every day. Nutella. And we can, yep, for example. Uh, Unilever company uses uh, this palm oil and many others. So you can just come as a customer and say, I don't want to sponsor forest fires mm. with my money. Mm. I will not buy palm oil if you will not stop use fire for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I knew palm oil was was a bad thing for lots of reasons. So, okay. So it's all true that we must continue to do the things we do to protect the uh, environment. Um, so here you are, 2018, eight, eight years of being a firefighter. What what are the best things and the worst things about uh, being a firefighter? I would not say that I never thought about such questions, but I never <laughs> found answers. <laughs> yeah. Like the best, I feel that I'm a part of a family which doesn't know borders, nations, languages. I am a liberal left politically person, but I can easily speak to Texan, which is uh, Republican and quite right. But we are firefighters, so we can left these differences somewhere behind mm. uh, this is the feeling of very very strong brotherhood and sisterhood in our case and when in airport the person see that you are a firefighter and provides you help and try to somehow comfort you it's, it's always a big emotional thing mm. and I know that my son is proud of me that I'm a firefighter and my mom is proud of me and my wife is proud of me so and uh, my friends saying that I'm doing something really important and this is this is of course very important stuff and very and and you know also uh, this gives me uh, a feeling that I'm doing something real like the yeah. So when you see the fire is stopped, it's something real. You can touch it. You can see it. It's a real result, and it's recharged very much emotionally and mm. gives a lot of energy. Yeah. Is is there uh, some actual enjoyment in fighting fire? I know it's a terrible thing, but is it exciting to work with fire like that? For sure. It's exciting and it's fun. Really? Yep. How? Tell us how. Don't believe, don't believe anyone who will say that it's not exciting. Of course it's exciting. It's risky, but it's exciting because you're fighting fire. You need to mobilize yourself, but you're doing it voluntarily. There is no like enlisted firefighters, as I know. Mm. So it's your choice, and you meet this disaster, and you think how to ch- to manage this, and then you, you choose the right decision you 
use right tools and then you fight it and then you win. Yeah. Of course, it's excitement. Uh, so, um, it's just it's 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 a lot of like we say, okay, forty years old boys <laughs> doing yeah. that. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's like when I was a kid playing in in the garden with the bonfire and just burning things on the fire. Yeah, but um, put us in your shoes, right? Let's say you're standing there. There's a wall of fire. Uh, I don't know how close you are to it, but you're standing there. You're approaching it with the rest of your team uh what what do you do i mean put us in your shoes for a moment um it depends on the type of the fire but let's say it's a, if it's a grass fire first of all i will be a kind of um, uh, mom and checking that everybody has personal protective equipment radio stations <laughs> all the equipment working well and everybody knows what to do and everybody if, like in a good condition and I will ask 20 times and then I will check radio stations and then I will set up a plan of firefighting and I will bring them to the safety zone to start and all this shit. Sorry. Uh, That's right. So, and then if I'm leading the group, when, when I'm fighting fire myself, it's just a mechanical work like blow or put water or dig or something. Yes. But if it's leading the group, it's always uh, looking at this area and always checking the fire behavior and try to understand where your people are, what are they doing, how much water or fuel do they have, do they have clear evacuation routes and so on. And you're, you're, it's, it's like a chess game, but which goes uh, real time. You yeah. cannot stop and think. You need to... Always keep in mind that the fire that you scouted in the beginning, already when you scouted it, changed a bit. And you need to predict how the behavior of the fire changed due to landscape, weather, fuel, and whatever. Wow. And how your people react. So it's, it's, it's interesting and exciting, and it's really nervous. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, there, there's a stereotype, certainly in the UK uh, and in France, also where I live, there's a stereotype that firefighters are really popular with girls. Is this true? Um, maybe if you're 20 years old and you're really well fit, and um, <laughs> in this case, yes, I'm a 41, so <laughs> and I'm married, so I'm not that I can check it. Right. I, I guess. But, but, I guess it's the firefighters who come and you know deal with fires in people's homes and stuff you know coming to the rescue uh but i don't know if it applies to 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 you guys too you were you were I, about to say something else i think yeah i i would say that uh, the reality is quite different a lot of people in volunteer firefighters and in professional are having problems with their personal life uh, yeah. because you're always outside you're risking and your wife or your husband if or your partner mm. should stay at home, wait, be nervous and checking news for any casualties caused by fires. And I can't imagine how it could be tough. Yeah. And um, people in some violent, especially violent firefighters, they can stay months outside of home. Yeah. And children do not recognize you when you come back. Because you're all and, burned, kind of... Uh... <laughs> 
if you burnt, then you're dead. Right. So, and, <laughs> scorched, and, and you, scorched, maybe. Yeah. And in reality, no, you, it's, it's in a movie you're coming into the house and then you bring a pretty girl on your hands out of the fire. In reality, you smell like shit, you look like shit, mm. you're dirty, and people would not like you to sit in a bus near them right. because you smelled really strong. So it's, it's, it's when you asked about the best and the worst things, mm. uh, there are a few things which are quite annoying, let's say. First of all is that when you start to do this and when you connect to the network, connect to the brotherhood, mm. every loss is your own loss yeah. because you can't imagine how it could happen. And you, can, and you look at the news and you think, okay, these guys in my Facebook whom I know, Aren't they uh, these unknown losses right now? These three firefighters on this fire killed by something. And you do not know because there is still no names from the Forest Service. And you're nervous about this. Mm. Or you know that there were guys in your volunteer group who faced the really tough fire. And you do not know what happened. So you wait for the news. And this is one of the biggest annoying things. Mm. Like really tough I would say it's more tough than the threat of the fire itself because when I meet the fire, I can at least manage it, but yeah. I cannot manage what happens with other people. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Um, how long are you going to be able to continue doing this? I suppose you, the office work is something you can do long term, isn't it? But uh, working out in the field, is it very demanding? Um, I hope at least till I'm 65. Yeah. And you'll be like this old firefighter with stories to tell the grandchildren. Yeah, I hope so. Okay. No, I don't want to become this, you know, old grumpy veteran showing battle scars to everyone. I hope that I will stay a bit less annoying to others. Yeah. You'd be a bit more modest about it, perhaps, like one of those guys. Yeah, okay. All right, well, you know, it's been great to to speak to you um do you have any things like links uh, online that people can check out if they want to find out more about uh, the work that you're doing how can we find out more about this yeah yeah first of all greenpeace indonesia currently provides in its facebook and on its site the story of one and fire volunteers Mm-hmm. Uh, in Indonesia, this is a group that I trained, yeah. and uh, they they're really impressive. It's young boys and girls, like almost all of them are twenty. About this, mm-hmm. and you can imagine Indonesia is a kind of country where the conditions are really, really hard. It's forty degrees plus. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's in Fahrenheit. It's in Celsius. It's high humidity. It's really exhausting. It's a pitland burning, and you can stand on the ground, which is 100 degrees Celsius wow. hot because of the sun or whatever. So, and they they face this, and also this is a country where still there's some issues with girls doing this job. So, for the girls of this team, it's also additional pressure from mm. the public opinion sometimes. So, this is an impressive story people can follow. Uh, I would say that you can look at the Greenpeace Russia web page, but it's in Russian, so it's not so easy to understand what is going on in our country. Even if you know Russian, it's not so easy to understand. <laughs> yep. 
Okay. All right. Well, I'll I'll put links uh, to those things on my uh, website for this episode. And um, well, just great yeah. to talk to you. What's next? What are you doing next? Are you have you got like a project coming up, or you you traveling anywhere? So uh, I think that for this year, my assignments are over. Maybe I will have one or two. But the weather in Russia changed, so we expect that the autumn will come and we will be out of season at some period. Maybe any other office in Greenpeace will call me. I cannot predict this. So, But now we are working on uh, research part and some campaign part, so it's more office work. And I'm staying at home. Yeah. That makes my wife extremely happy. Because <laughs> this, this, this summer there was a quite a month and a half when we did not see each other oh yes okay all right well enjoy spending some time at home and uh, just carry on doing the good work thank you very much and as a last words for this i would say for people who listening to you just if you see one and firefighters traveling somewhere tell them that you appreciate what they're doing because a lot of people come there from socially not very happy parts of our communities and they need this they come there and they do important job and just share some water with them or make a sign that you appreciate this and it will make much more than you can imagine for them okay right everyone if you see wild wildland firefighters give them a thumbs up make them a cup of tea that would be nice. Give them some cake to show you appreciate them. Um, okay. All right. Well, fantastic. And um, thanks for coming on the show. And thank you for this opportunity. You're very welcome. So there we go. That was Benny, the Russian firefighter, uh, doing his thing on the podcast. So uh, if you'd like to know more, about the work that Benny's been doing, then uh, there are links on my website for Greenpeace Indonesia, Greenpeace Russia. Uh, and if you want to support Greenpeace Russia and the work that they're doing, there's a link there uh, for their crowdfunding page where you can donate money to help them to buy equipment and other resources. Um, thank you so much for listening to my podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Really, thank you so much. Um, don't forget to visit the website because I put loads of things on there for you to use. Uh, there's all those links and stuff for each episode and transcripts and notes and things. But also there are links for my sponsors, my premium service. You can find out all about that and everything else, even updates on my next stand-up shows and my Twitter feed and all that kind of thing. Not to mention the active comment section where Lepsters from around the world chat to each other and express themselves in English. Jump into the comment section whenever you want. Everyone is welcome. Um, coming up next on the podcast, I've got some more interviews. I haven't done a rambling episode for a while, although, you know, most of my episodes are usually a bit rambling, but I mean the ones where I'm just on my own. Um, so I'd quite like to do one of those soon, maybe, but, uh, you know, something like where I've just got no notes or script or anything and I'm just talking off the top of my head. It's been a while since I did that. But I have loads of interviews saved on my computer, which I've been editing. Uh, for some reason, September was full of Skype calls to different people in different places. So lots of guests with different accents. Uh, also, I managed to get another episode with my parents. 
for more of our slightly inane rambling. And I have to say that this one, that the episode with my parents that's coming up, this one really cracks me up. I was listening back to it while doing bits of editing, and my parents were very funny indeed. Uh, so I think it will give you a chuckle on the bus. Uh, that might be the next episode, or very soon anyway. But for now, it's just time for me to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.